Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's Isaiah! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows. And you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about like crazy and incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spook also has a, a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, oh, like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Feral. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of my brother's sneakers exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash my brother's sneakers. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Hello and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. Welcome to my show. I thank you for listening. I'm <laughs> having one of those mornings where I'm trying to do the intro for the show, and I just hate everything that comes out of my pie hole. And so I'm, I'm, it, it, I don't know what something. It should just be the easiest thing in the world, but today my brain is just like, nope, not gonna happen. Um, so know that this is when you hear this that I've tried to record this eight million times, and I'm about to lose my mind. But if you haven't listened to my show before, thank you so much. And it is uh, just what the title there implies. It is a conversation with me and a unique and wonderful person who's had a big life. That's what I've been going for since uh, the beginning of 2014. Actually, the end of 2013, I really just, I want great lives and great stories of magnificent people. And today's guest is Ruth Weiss. And if she doesn't sum that up, I don't know who does. This woman's life story is incredible. She's an amazing, gifted writer and poet. Um, You'll hear some of her poems at the end. She's accompanied by her partner in life, Hal Davis, who's also an amazing dude. And he chimes in on the conversation. Kelly Rose, who does the great photos and videos for these uh, podcasts, chimes in. And it's truly a unique experience. uh, go to the mattdwyer.com under the road trip uh, portion there, and you could see th- the blog that we created for this, and there will be some video 
of Ruth performing and some photos. And it's a really, Ruth is, uh, it's one of those episodes where afterwards, like, I was high as a kite uh, because I'm like, I get to talk to incredible people who have done amazing things in this world. I think that's why I'm having a hard time <laughs> describing or doing my intro for this show because I'm in, I'm very excited about this episode. Um, so I hope you really dig it. And if you want to do me a favor, uh, just real quick, if you want to go to iTunes and write a review for my podcast, uh, that would be great. Just find the conversations with Matt Dwyer thing. Also, um, uh, you can go to the Feral Audio and find my page, the Conversations with Matt Dwyer page on Feral Audio, and you could go to that Amazon link. You click that, you could put that in your toolbar, and anytime you say you buy a movie, a book, um, cereal, cleaning supplies, Conversations with Matt Dwyer gets a kickback of that money. I get a very small percentage, but it helps support our show. Um, also, go to feral, uh, go to themattdwyer.com and feralaudio.com. And check out this blog and video, and uh, go and check out my past episodes too. I've, if you like Ruth Weiss, you're gonna like a lot of the other guests I've had. And uh, I'm not gonna babble anymore. This is gonna be the intro I use. And just so you know, while I did it, I'm wearing a gray T-shirt, and that's it. <laughs> Let that swim around in your brain. Uh, please enjoy this episode with the incredible Ruth Weiss and Hal Davis. eighth grade we moved to Chicago from Iowa we were living with Quakers and uh, this is after I came to the States escaping the Nazis and uh, for eighth grade my parents put me to a reason I'm mentioning I'm Jewish they put me into a Catholic boarding school out in Norwood Park that's where I graduated eighth grade from and then uh, for high school I went to I was living in Rogers Park up north, right just before Evanston. So, what part were you living in? Um, we, let's see, in Chicago, I lived all over the place. I lived in Andersonville. Mm, I don't know any of those places, yeah. It's just south of Rogers Park. Uh, My great aunt lived in Rogers Park for like 70 years. Wow. Same apartment. She just, wow. she just passed away recently, but yeah, always. Oh so I spent a lot of time well, there. I lived on Farwell Avenue. Okay. And I, that was connected with the pier. Oh, okay. And I used to swim to the end of the pier, and it was ice cold. Oh, and yeah. I was one of the few people who was ever in the water. I bet. Most people were just playing on the beach. They looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, <went in. laughs> yeah I never see anyone in the water. It's so cold. <laughs> what year was that, Ruth? Uh, what year? I went to high school from 1942 to 46. In Chicago? In Chicago. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. And what neighborhoods did you live in? Around. Uh, only Rogers Park. Oh, only Rogers Park. Well, no, that's not quite true. Once I was on my Bohemian track, I moved to the near north side. Oh, okay. And I lived in a crazy old building, beautiful building. Uh, it was called the Art Circle. Mm -hmm. It was on Deming Place. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever... I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think Deming I Place, and it was right near Clark Street. Okay. About two blocks up. Well, I left Chicago in 1952 to come out to San Francisco after traveling around and uh, hitchhiking mm -hmm. 
uh, to New York, to yeah. the village, to New Orleans, and so on. But now that I'm talking about Chicago, so in 2002, which was exactly 50 years after I left Chicago, I'd never been back, uh, I was invited to uh, to be in, to go to uh, Syracuse, and there's a college there, near there, and they were doing a play on the beat era, and they were using people to play these parts, and the young girl played me, uh -huh. so they wanted me out there to kind of brief her and then enjoy the thing, and then from there I went to uh, Ohio, but anyway, I ended up in Chicago 50 years after I'd left it, and I wanted to see the building that i really started my whole Bohemian trek in on Deming Place. And I walked over there and there were all these modern buildings except the building I'd lived in and the building across the street. And I'm looking at it and um, I went up the stairs and a strange woman, it was like a ghost, came to the door, wouldn't open it. What do you want? Uh -huh. And I backed off, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, suddenly there was a man there walking his dog and he comes up to me and he said is there anything you want to know about here I was born on this street I said well I used to live in that building in 1949 and he said you know I said how come it's still standing it's wonderful he said it was uh, made into a uh, what do you call that when you uh, condos no 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 uh, when they yeah, historical, historical, it got historical. Yeah, historical landmark. Yeah, yeah it was a landmark. Yeah. So that's why that building was wow. still standing. That's so cool. So my friend who was with me, Janet, uh, took a picture of it, uh, you know, from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. But he told me that that is the reason that that's building is still there. So that was the near north side. Was there a lot of different artists and stuff? Because it was an art building, correct? It was a building. It wasn't a big building. They had maybe, it was three floors high, but very narrow. And uh, they had rooms for artists and poets. And you paid $7 a week, no matter whether you got a little cubicle or a huge room. It was all the same. And I lived down in the basement. <laughs> and, Chicago uh, winters, that can be tough. Yeah, right? Well, this, no, it was actually, party. that's where the boiler was. It was very warm. Oh, there. nice. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been and, in some of those garden apartments. Those are cold. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Chicago. And you, I read that you would go visit Stuff Smith on the uh, south side. I, I like right. I like his stuff a lot. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I listen to a what lot a of old... violinist. Yeah. Wasn't he incredible? Jazz violinist. Mm. Wow. Yes. Uh I met him actually at the art circle. He came, uh, a lot of uh, people, mostly guys, mm -hmm. I don't remember any women coming, would visit the art circle from the south side, the black, and stuff was one of them, and that's how I met him. I also met Gwendolyn Brooks, who's, I don't know if you know who she is. I'm Very famous so. poet, yeah. she's gone now. And uh, in fact, uh, a stamp just came out from the U.S. Post Office uh -huh. with the poets, and she's on that, oh, cool. on that series. So I met her. Who else? And actually, that's where I, 
Well, I was doing poetry with jazz in New Orleans. That's another story. But before I went there, I was in Chicago, living in the art circle, and musicians would drop by every so often just jam. And I had a friend, Ernest Alexander, he happened to be black, but he was also a painter. He was not a musician. And he came down the stairs and said, come on, there's a jam up there. Come on, listen. I was in the middle of writing. I said, no way. I mean, you know, I was typing away. He grabbed the poem out of the typewriter and ran up the stairs. I ran after him. <laughs> and he said to the guys, he said, you ought to listen to this. And so I said, okay. So I started reading. But instead of sitting and listening, they just started to jam. They just started to play music. So that's how that whole thing with poetry and jazz happened. You were, the f you were the first one, right? Well, they probably did it in New York and the other as far. I was, I know I innovated it in San Francisco. And in Chicago, I don't know who else was doing it. But I innovated it. That was also another story. I had arrived in San Francisco and I was walking down the street and ran into a musician named uh, Johnny Elgin, who was a keyboard player. And I knew him in New Orleans. <coughs> said, oh, what are you doing in the city? And he said, well, I got married and I'm living uh, off Dolores Street and uh, there are all these musicians living in the building and my, land my wife is the landlady. So, and he said, we jam in the, in the boiler room uh, two, three times a week. Why don't you drop by? So I dropped by and I would go there a lot. And uh, a couple of years later, three of the musicians who were living, at, and the place was called Hill Haven, uh, opened up a club in North Beach called The Cellar. And then they said, why don't you take one night for poetry and jazz? Which I did. And that's how it got started in 1956 in San so I was doing that for about a year and a half. And then uh, one day I'd had it with the city and I went to Big Sur and lived there about six months. And uh, uh, meantime, well-known poetry, I won't mention names, um, started to do poetry and jazz at the cellar. And so, and, but they were very media-wise and had connections. They connected with Fantasy Records, which recorded them. So they think they did it, but that was in 59. That was three years after I started. And nobody really knew about this until recently it's become more known. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Do, you, do, do you prefer to stay away from names and not go into anything specific? I mean, not in that, just at that no. instant. I just mean in general. Well, long ago that's quite possible because... Uh, one of my books that was published in 59 was called Gallery of Women. And I would just use first names. Mm -hmm. oh, and I didn't write last names in it. Yeah. Like I wrote one about Virginia Woolf and I called it VW, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the poem is very short. I still remember it. It says, um, Virginia walked into the waves and kept on walking. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Because you know she wrote a book called The Waves. Uh -huh. Right. And uh, she committed suicide. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was the ocean, but I heard later it was a, a stream. A stream? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
still a bit more challenging than the ocean. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to do some walking in that stream. Well, she might have uh, put rocks. Yeah, yeah whatever. Depends on the stream. Mm. What? Depends on the stream. Right. What? what? <laughs> I have no idea where. I'm sure it was in England somewhere. Mm -hmm. I, okay. Now, now Hal and I have been together since 2009, and uh, I, th I th you don't mind being on this no. just to tell about your drum because we oh, yeah. travel with it all the time. We go to Europe with it. Yeah. Did I? Okay, did I do log. No, it's, it's not much to say about a hollow log. It's um, hollow. And um, it used to be a tree, and uh, it's about two and a half feet long, and I, um, I found it on my daughter's birthday out in the woods. I passed this path so many times, and one day I'm, I was, my, my daughter was heavy on my heart, and uh, she's living out in Hawaii, she's 22, 23 years old now. And um, I came by it, and, and I said, wow, a drum. And it was all, it had the bark on it, and it had, uh, all, you know, it still had a whole bunch of wet stuff in there and everything like that. I knocked the wet stuff off and uh, put it on the veranda and um, completely forgot about it. And then another year later, about my daughter's birthday, if it wasn't on my, my April 11th, and um, thinking about her, and I looked down at the log and I saw the, the bark starting to peel off. And so I, 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 I took the little bit of bark that was ready to come off and I got these long round chisels, these curved chisels that go down in there. And um, I, just kind of cleaned it out a little bit more, you know? And um, you know, four years later, we've taken it to Vienna twice, and <laughs> New Orleans, and uh, back and forth to Bay Area After many times. We were in the Alps at the festival too. Yeah. In um, Austria. Yeah, 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 down in Hall. It was, in a, it's a tiny yeah. little medieval town right near Innsbruck, and they have a, a yearly uh, poetry festival. Huh. So we, we took that with us, yeah. It sounds amazing. <laughs> and when I'm usually, my it will perform with um, a stand-up bass, acoustic mm -hmm. bass, jazz, and uh, saxophone, and I prefer the tenor, usually. But instead of having other percussion, just that. And How I easy. just jumped into... Yeah. The jazz. That's great. <laughs> but um, for me, the jazz period of the bebop period is, is the one I'm most connected with. Um, I was living in Chicago, and at one point I moved out and moved to a little room and then lived with a saxophone player named Billy Cannon. And Billy Cannon had just come from New York and lived with Charlie Parker. And uh, he was very good. Mm -hmm. I never saw him at a gig. I just heard him play at the house. And uh, in fact, they used to call Billy Little Bird because Charlie <laughs> Parker was called Bird. Yeah. And he really turned me on to 
are they musicians? Well, I mean, oh, Bud Powell, uh, piano, uh, Monk, mm -hmm. piano, uh, Charlie Parker, uh, tenor sax, Prez, mm -hmm. well, Lester Young, and, uh, you know, people from uh, a decade older than me. Mm -hmm. But when I first heard that, and I found that the rhythms in my work just fit that perfectly. I mean, I didn't write too jazz, it just worked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, well, but I've, I've played with other things, too. I mean, in fact, my next, our next performance is going to be in San Francisco at a music school, and they do a yearly festival with electronic mu musicians who play synthesizers. Mm -hmm. And when I was invited, I said, well, I've never worked with electric. Uh, but I'll try it. And so the musician came and met us in North Beach in San Francisco, and we sort of had a little jam, and it worked. Wow. So on July 30th, or that's going to be the next gig we're doing cool. with this musician. Yeah. Well, you said that, well, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, I just, uh, you were saying you're busier now than you have been in, it's like... Ever. It's, well, I just, I just two weeks ago finished eight eight different gigs and I got that's when I was so exhausted yeah. uh, we had two in San Francisco different a week apart so we had to go down twice mm -hmm. one in Fairfax at a gallery one at a gallery in Ukiah and the one that was and then the radio on local radio but the thing that we really enjoyed the most was at the local high school in Mendocino 15 year olds and history class. Oh, well, it was history, <laughs> poetically in uh, in time. Uh, it was it was overwhelming. She has a, a disc of it, you know, on video, and uh, you. We had time, time. We could maybe could take a look. Yeah, yeah. Really we'll enjoy see. that. But Come you know, on, fifteen. Really nice. I think fifteen is one of the hardest ages. You're not quite yeah. considered an adult, and you're not a child anymore, and you want to break through boundaries and you don't know which way to go. I mean, it's, and I, I was surprised because it was, they arranged to do this during the lunch hour. So it was voluntary. They didn't have to show up. Mm -hmm. The place was packed and nobody left. <laughs> and they, <laughs> asked, That's a big and deal. they asked them very intelligent questions. That's there was cool. a and a part of it. Mm -hmm. So the class was a combination of as far as I was concerned. It wasn't a class, it was a performance of dealing with the fact that I was a refugee from the Nazis and that I was so involved with the beat period. And I mixed those two up and that was part of it. So, but I said, I need time at home. And this year we're not going to go back to Europe. I really don't want to take a month away. I really need to stay here, you know. And you, because you want to focus on writing, but you write every day? Or? Well, no, uh, it's just getting this place and going through my archives and doing that. No, I don't write every day. I never know when I'm going to write next. But I did, I was going to show you the two most recent poems. So, you know, I'm still writing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would love to, whenever you're ready. Well, let's see. Was there a bit of like, cause, you know, because of the 50s, there still was a lot of, you know, oh, okay. 
you know, there still was a lot of, you know, civil rights and things haven't been settled. Were the, was the po poet seemed like welcoming to all women and... All of that, I'll have to talk about it. But one thing I want to mention in the 50s was that horrible thing that was going on in Washington. Yeah. I keep... Oh, well, McCarthyism? McCarthy. Yeah. And uh, that was, yeah... Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times they, people glorify the 50s as the golden age, and right. I think they forget about things like McCarthyism. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Right. It was a... And you asked me about the woman thing. Well. Because if, if I... If, yeah. If, may I mention a name? And I don't want to... Well, I don't care. Okay. I didn't know if you... But, like, there was a tension between you and Ginsburg, and I just... I always was oh, ki yeah. curious Maybe. about that, because it was like... Well, it was... Pretty bad. I don't know if I should talk about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was right. kind of stupid. And, uh, <laughs> it and it went on. All I can tell you is, I'll, I won't tell all the other things, but I will tell you about the last time I ever saw him. Mm -hmm. It was 1996, and there was a huge show at the Whitney uh, about the Beat Generation, a show that later traveled to San Francisco, too. And there, there was one other place. And I was invited to be in it because I, but not by the poetry part of it, but by the film maker, because I made a movie in 1961. Mm -hmm. So that my film was invited, so I went there. But I was not invited to read or anything. And I was there for like three weeks or something. And so I went to the office at the Whitney Museum to talk to the director of why I wasn't invited to read, especially since I had done it with jazz. And they told me she wasn't in, and I could see the oh. way there was a reflection in the mirror. I could see her sitting there. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that Ginsburg was very involved with that, mm -hmm. uh, putting the show up. Yeah. I think that was part of it. Yeah, yeah. But the last time I ever saw him was very strange, because he died a year after that. I was standing in the lobby and a lot of people were getting ready to hear something or see something. And I was with maybe half a dozen friends who were talking and I felt I felt a presence or something. I turned and there was Ginsburg on the other side of the room with a whole bunch and he just looked glared at me for a full I don't know. Might so have when been he down the steps? No, 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 that was another oh. time. <laughs> I don't want to talk, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that one. Really, I know you I, don't. I do. Can, no, I don't. But I wasn't I know. there, so no. I can't talk I about just want to tell the last time I saw him. Yeah. And we just, our eyes just glazed, and then mm -hmm. we both turned away, and that was it. That was it. But it was so strange. Yeah. And I have no idea, and it wasn't because I was a woman. Yeah. I because he has a lot of women friends who really, uh, Ann Waldman being one of them, but most of women were a lot younger, and they kind of, he was the poetry god, so mm -hmm. as long as he got that adulation. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was because I was a woman. There was something I don't know, yeah. and it doesn't matter. But it's very funny because um, people who have been close to him wrote wonderful reviews about my work, but they never knew that, he didn't approve yeah. of me. Right. But in general, uh, they weren't really pushed. The women were not, writers were not pushed in the back. They were just simply ignored. Mm. There's a difference. I mean, they weren't shoved out of the way, but they were like, they didn't exist. Or, well, 
I personally was never involved with any poet, I mean, romantically mm -hmm. at all. Um, I knew Jack Kerouac, mm -hmm. and I knew him before On the Road came out. A book had come out called uh, The Town and Country or something. Mm -hmm. Very different style, absolutely different style of work. And uh, On the Road was quite a breakthrough. But I knew him then, but I didn't know him in North Beach. He'd come and see me. Um, I was living in a place called the Wentley Hotel. And uh, he would drop by two, three, four in the morning. And we'd, uh, we were never romantically involved, which was okay because he didn't treat his ladies very well. <laughs> <laughs> and we would write haiku mm -hmm. to each other. And he'd be drinking his Dago Red mm -hmm. wine, and I'd be drinking my beer. And then Dawn was coming close, you know, a couple of hours later, and Neil Casty would stop by, who had just uh, borrowed another car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, he never stole a car. He would take a car, hotwire it, and run it until the gas ran out. Then he'd leave it. And then he'd pick another car. I mean, that was... That the was funniest, it. if may I interrupt, yeah, please. Uh, the funniest, uh, uh, Jerry from the Beatnik Museum down oh, in San Jerry Francisco. Gimino, yeah. Jerry Gimino. Uh, he, he said, now, Ruth, what do you think about this car here? Do you think this is Neil Cassidy's car? And she says, I've never known him to own one. <laughs> <laughs> and he went... <laughs> Left hand turn. <laughs> but what would happen is one of the we wanted to see the sunrise over Oakland and the east. And we would go up to Potrero Hill and there's a you know the street, Lombard Street, very famous in mm -hmm. San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Well this street out on Potrero Hill, I forgot the name of it, maybe it was Vermont or one of was just like that. Maybe not quite as long, but like a snake. Yeah. And at that time, it was a two-way street. It was a very narrow street. Mm -hmm. And we would go to 100 miles an hour down that street. <sighs> but it was, we'd watch the sunrise mm -hmm. and then go zooming down that street. There was never any traffic coming the other way, or I wouldn't right. be here to tell it. Right. <laughs> it must have been crazy, you know, to do. That's about Great. the only connection. And this is how I knew Jack. But most of the other male poets, uh, well, many of their ladies were writers, as we found out later, you know. Mm -hmm. Michael McClure's uh, wife, uh, Joanne, and so on. And what really changed the whole thing about recognition of the women was a woman named Brenda Knight. Uh, she wrote a book in 96 called... Uh, Women of the Beat Generation, and there are about 40 women in there. Well, she called me up. She found me. Oh, that strange story, how she found me. Should I go into that? Yeah, yeah, Any do story's it. good for me. Well, she was concentrating on buying, um, on, on publishing, writing a book, and getting as many women as she could find. So she happened to be looking through books at City Lights Bookstore in North Beach. And she her foot hit a book under a bookcase, and she pulled it out, and it was all dusty. It must have been there for years. Mm -hmm. And it was my book, Desert Journal. 
That's wow. how she found me. <laughs> so then she went to the Bancroft Library, looked me up, and then she found out a lot more. Mm-hmm. Then she called me up, and at first I wasn't sure, you know, is there somebody cashing in on the beat era and what kind of BS it is. But as we had several conversations, I realized how her full her whole heart was into this project. She felt very important about that. So I ended up helping her find some of the women. I was able, like she wanted to find Lenore Candell. And uh, so she already knew about it, but mm-hmm. she didn't know how to reach her, but I did. Mm-hmm. So I'd call up Lenore and say, look, you've got to be in touch because this is a, going to be a very important book. And Lenore would say, well, I'm too sick. I don't want to bother with Mm-hmm. I said, you must. Mm-hmm. I pushed, and she did it, and she did get included. And the same with uh, Jack Kerouac's daughter, Jan, mm-hmm. who was a decade younger, of course, mm-hmm. 20 years younger. And uh, I, we had a benefit for Jan Kerouac because she was very ill. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, when she died, she was very close to the stage her father had been. And her father, Jack, actually denied that it was his daughter. I think eventually he admitted it. Mm -hmm. But there's a photograph in the book, Women of the Beat Generation, of Janet with a hat. And you can see. They look exactly (laughs) alike. Anyway, Jan was living in Arizona, but she needed money to work uh, something with her kidneys or whatever. And we had uh, like three benefits for her. And on one of these, she showed up, and it happened to be the one that I was on the program. So I went up to her to talk to her, and then she gave me her phone number. Mm -hmm. Well, a few weeks later, Brenda called me, and I said, yes, I I can reach her. Now, and uh, actually, uh, she finally did call Brenda, and they became very close friends. They had a lot of (coughs) common references. And but Jan uh, Kerouac died before the book came out, mm-hmm. but she is included. So, but many of these women were were hus- were wives. Their husbands were famous poets, and they were ignored completely, mm-hmm. again and again and again. Uh, I was not involved with those poets. I knew them, mm-hmm. but I, but I'm not. I've never been um, a joiner. I mean, I've always been on my own trip. And so, even though I went once to Rex Ball's house and I was very bored by all the academic references and about this and style and had nothing to do with what I knew, what my writing was about. So, uh, yes. Well, I was just curious, why do you think people are so fascinated with the, the male aspect of the beats and, and that stuff got to... Is it, well, is, is it macho bullshit? Well, they didn't know that these women existed, right. including me. They weren't ignoring them. Right. They didn't know about them. And uh, I think the whole thing happened at a time when young people, whether they were poets or not, needed needed some kind of a opening of of something different than the materialism that exploded right after the Second World War. Right. 
Mm -hmm. And not everybody was into the latest gadget in the kitchen and, right. you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but that's been changing. But I, I think that the women were ignored. Well, this was happening all over the world. The women were in that kind mm -hmm. of position. Right. So um, it wasn't only the... Be it's just that these male poets who considered freedom and... Uh, and um, following your own trip and, you know, following your own... Um, treated the women just like the rest of the world treated right. their women. Yeah. yeah I mean, it wasn't any it different. It wasn't easy, yeah. And the women, some of them went for it. Many of them had regular jobs. Well, I was not part of that scene. Mm -hmm. they didn't, and they supported these guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think the, t the label beat became too broad of a label? Like, if that make, does that make sense? Well, all I can tell, the word beatnik was very, very insulting. It had something to do with Sputnik, and I don't know who coined it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was Herb Cain, or it's given to different people. But then the strange thing is that because of this moniker, moniker which, I, which I didn't want to be known as a beat poet, it's because of that that my name's been going out the last few years. Right. I mean, it's it's just very strange. Yeah. Because there were other poets in that living in the art circle in Chicago, and they were never heard of again. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about one of my friends, Jerry Wanager, a very good poet, but nobody's ever heard of her mm -hmm. since. Now, I don't know if she just stopped writing or what happened, but that's been my whole life, yeah. is, is poetry. I wrote my first one when I was five, in German then, and I, I had about 20, 30 poems by the time I left wow. uh, Austria. I don't know where any of those are. They all went. But I did keep the first one I ever wrote when I was five. Cool. But I knew all my life that that is my calling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never doubted it. When I was in Catholic boarding school that one year, I wrote a 200-page novel. I, I put together a collection of two of two books of poetry at 12. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> well, I played with a truck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a wonderful teacher in Catholic boarding school, and she was really my good friend. Her name was Sister Eulogia. It was a Polish, uh, um, what do you call it, um, order. Mm. It was a Polish order. A lot of poles in Chicago, yes. I told how that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so many. Yes, so anyway, um, and she encouraged my writing, and she gave me a very strange criticism for a nun. I was really surprised. She hit it right on the nail, and she said, you know, language, you have beautiful rhythms, and this. The only thing is, I don't understand, you never mentioned people. You only mentioned nature. Wow. And and I thought about it because I felt very alienated from mm -hmm. people for many reasons. And she caught on to that and to for none to yeah. pick up on that. And she was she herself was actually a painter and she would use me in her paintings of Mary and at that time I had long hair in Europe and I looked like I got 
off the boat, right. which I did. <laughs> but most of the other girls all had that frizzy, yeah. frizzy right. permanent. But the thing is, she used me in a lot of her paintings Very of cool. Mary. Yeah. And she was, Mary was Jewish, right? Right. And I was the only one in the whole school. But somehow my parents connected with them, and they uh, took me on free. My parents didn't have to pay. Oh, wow. Yeah, they took, yeah, so... You passed for a Catholic. Yeah, no, apparently. No, they passed for a, a, maybe they could get the hook in me. And they right. almost did, actually. Yeah. I, I actually, they had two masses in the morning, I know. And one was at 6 o'clock, and the other one was at 7.30. Mm -hmm. Classes started at 9 then. And I would go to the early mass because nobody else was most mm. of the girls wanted to go later and I would have my Jewish prayer book with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did go to the mass I liked yeah. it you know oh, cool. and I thought I better be careful or they'll get right me. yeah because the Catholic Church is known for its uh, theater right they know a lot about theater they do and they love <laughs> to yes. get you too yes. <laughs> they're about numbers for sure yeah <laughs> I'm talking about in the 40s. Right. Like today is very different. Yes, yes. What um, year did you leave Chicago? Well, I was gone for two years in Europe. Uh, I went back because my father, as an American, was with the Army's occupation. So I left Chicago in 1946 and came back in 48 and then stayed on and off for... How long? Not very long. A year or two, I forgot. Oh, well, I went to New York in 1949, lived in the village. You can have that on, yeah. In the village, let's see, I went to New York, the village in 1949, and from there I went on to New Orleans, lived there for about eight months, and then came back to Chicago in 51, and then hitchhiked to San Francisco in 52 and stayed, you know, been living in, I lived there 30 years. How was it hitchhiking across America in 19... <laughs> I had no problem. None. It was wonderful. Uh, they didn't have all that insurance. The truck drivers would pick you up because they needed to talk to somebody. And they were very protective. I mean, nobody ever came out of me or anything. It was amazing. Uh, and there would be these coffee, uh, what do they call them? You know, hamburger coffee places? Yeah. The truck drivers? Truck stops. Truck stops. Yeah. And we'd get to a truck stop, and there would be all these other trucks. And he'd say, anybody going in this direction? Okay, take this little girl, and you better take good care or you're going to hear from me. And <laughs> so they would pass me on. The, the Pony time. Express or kind of company. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, at that time, the, the insurance, you know, you could yeah. pick up people, you know, driving truck and stuff like that. And it was like, um, yes. How did you two meet? <laughs> yeah. Or is that a two? No, no, no. We were both hitchhiking. No. <laughs> we got the no. same ride, actually. <laughs> well, that is true, but let's put it the other way, is that... Um, Hal was coming up here to do some tile work. And I kept saying, I don't think you better, you don't understand the situation here is not very good. I don't want anybody yeah, around. Yeah, the partner was... No, never mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, but he came up here, 
and for some reason, uh, see, I don't drive. Mm -hmm. So for two years, I was hitchhiking the area or getting rides, mm -hmm. but there's a bus that goes every so often. 82 when I met you. You're hitchhiking at 82? Yeah. Well, just here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, I mean, it's pretty great. across the country. <laughs> But you never know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and anyway, uh, so I I think I got a ride to Albion from maybe Fort Bragg. I don't know. And I got off. And uh, I see this person walking with three guitars. Mm -hmm. And I look, and I met him once before. I said, is that you? And what are you trying to do? He said, I'm trying to get to your house. I said, well, I just got a ride up to the house. Come on. <laughs> That's but, amazing. Well, I thought you were making a joke. I know. <laughs> no, no. And the other I, thing. I, I had my lute, my violin, and my six string, my classical. <laughs> and I left all my. I was coming up here for uh, do a, a slate floor. And um, I left all my tools. My truck blew up. My uh, mate. And I, I've been praying for direction. I've been hoping and like reaching out everywhere I could. Uh, anybody listening around here, you know, like kind yeah. of one of those things. And and uh, so I got this job up here and my truck blew up. I'm going, oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> so much for direction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my motor blew. Yeah. And, um, well, I got the tile floor done. I got the slate floor done. And, and I was on my way to Arizona. I have a friend down there that's the biggest rancher in Arizona. His name's Tiny. And he's like, have you ever seen um, Bonanza? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember Horse Cartwright? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This looks like Tiny's little brother. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's huge, man. And he, he, he's, yeah, he's totally mm, go-ahead kind of, you know. Punch bulls, you know. And anyway, I was on my way down there, and then Ruth said, ah, "Look, I, why don't you stay here?" <laughs> and I've been a merchant seaman for twenty some years, and I've been on Harleys and trucks, mm -hmm. and that's all I've ever known. And um, she says, well, why, well, just, why don't you stay? Don't go. Why don't you stay? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to sleep on that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make any hasty decisions about my go-ahead because, like, I'm going, you know. And uh, so I woke up the next day, and this small little voice in my heart, Plugged into my go-ahead. <laughs> and, and it says, you know, Hal, you've been waiting to hear those words all your life. Don't go. Why don't you stay? And so I, I, got, the, I got the message clear. And then I had to go clarify it with her. Right. Sure. I said, are you sure? Like, I don't have any references at all staying anywhere. I've been on a boat for a year. 
I had a motorcycle. I had a Harley for 11 years and in 1949 Indian, long time before that. And um, are you sure? And she says, yeah, stay. And I says, oh boy, okay. You know, so like it's been about five years later and um, Oh, I got teary-eyed from that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the meantime, I keep getting invited to Europe to perform, mm. and with this log, he plays other instruments. Yeah, yeah. The, but this was the one. That's the thing. You know, and actually, you'd never really been into jazz, and I mean, no, you know, Dylan, and and you know, yeah, that was it. Mm -hmm. Different, different, different. Yeah. Uh, decade. Right. right? Different right. generations. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I've been turning 66 this year, and I've uh, been retired for quite a retired officer in the Merchant Marines, and, and she's been, um, uh, she's 12. <laughs> <laughs> How's it long to take through customs? <laughs> uh, right? No problem. No problem. Concern them. Oh, really? No, they're, they're not at all. It, we had no problem. Oh, that's great. I put way. it in my old duffel bag. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and, and, and haul well, around, right. and they don't, it's carry on. Cool. It's my instrument. Right. Yeah. And I'm American, and I can get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Senor, are you, yes? Well, so you want to start up with um, bypass limbs, okay. And then I want to go to the shorties. It don't matter, go ahead. Okay. All right. Forward. Bypass Lintz is a collage excerpted in 2008 from my book Desert Journal, which was written from 1961 to 1968 and published in 1977 by the Good Gate Poets in Boston. December 1938, 10-year-old Ruth is on a train from Vienna to Amsterdam. Mind flashes mixed with the landscape and the click, click of the wheels. The train passes Blitz, the Führer's favorite city. How much further? To cross the border, how much longer? The wheels slow, the wheels stop, the wheels start again, on and on through the long night. Bypass glimpse. The journey. The journey has only begun. the light was it day or is it night was it forest or is it plain was it mist or is it rain the track twists the train rolls on upon the track there was no warning at all there was all warning needed there was no warning at all there was all warning needed. There was no warning at all. 
It was all warning needed. So much warning. One was lulled by its constancy. When it struck, all seemed surprised. No one was surprised. Running and stop, stop, look and listen. Where did all the others go? Perhaps a train. A wet and waving handkerchief, white and bright in the night, while steam and soot etched root into the heart. One has to throw it all away. Notes, numbers, all the references, even the reverence of nothing. Mirror, memory, the backs of strangers. Just now a face I knew, but no, on the journey, on the journey the same faces over and over. Now to go behind the face, one's own face. Quickly prepare, leave quickly. The journey is day by day. The crab is looking for the sea. Is it a road? Is it a boat? Egad said the crab, it's a trapezoid. One changes rooms. One changes buildings. One changes cities. One changes countries. One changes continents. Planets. It is still the same universe. One's own. One is listening for the sound that has stopped. Point of no return. A journey, a line begun as a dot. I laugh, you laugh, it laughs. We cry, you cry, they cry. No guarantee the return. No guarantee. Never look back like wife of Lot. Names started dropping like falling stars. Fell to pattern. Only a child alone in the night awake. misunderstood, studied her part well, to detain fact enough from fiction to cause friction, a spark, a spark in the dark yearning. All fevers sweet, a boat, a cradle on a sparkling rocking sea, darted with monsters, Playful, shine and darkly. And all the friendly faces, family portraits, a thousand or more miniatures suspended 
an invisible threat to swing in an army of memories all threat fear is the nightmare not remembered there are no stars left to write wrongs imagined halt the sea of eyes breaking over these mouths rose before dawn left with bread unrisen across the sea that opened pulse perhaps a ship that took a trip never to return the return is yours for the asking Ask any king, his queen plays cards. Little girl, leave your doll. She has told you all she knows. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> that was intense. Thank you. I loved it. Yeah, I, you just, and that's, yeah, that... it's like, I was just, <laughs> In. I was in not too many role players around. Here. No. <laughs> what are you do? Uh, well, you're goddamn good at yeah. it. Yeah, a dime a dozen. It was just so incredible to listen to. I I don't think I've been that wrapped up in something. Yeah. Oh, Thank Seriously. You. You're welcome. That was great. Well, these other two, uh, should I do it with or without? It's them? up to you guys. I'd love what it. Do you, yeah. you want to try it with? What do you jump out there? <laughs> well, the two poems I want to what read. What are you going to do? Poets are proud of the vintage. Oh, yeah, I need to rehearse this one anyway. Okay. This is improvisation uh, rehearsal. I wrote it in April. Is this possible? I wrote it in April. Oh, great. I need to rehearse improvise. Okay. okay no more, so. right. Go. I'll jump. Poets are proud of their vintage. Poets are proud of their vintage, having passed through childhood of challenge, through teens of heartbreak, through twenties of adventure, not trusting to make thirty. Decade after decade of blind alleys and sudden shafts of light. Yes. Yes, poets are proud of their vintage, even when beer is the choice, not wine. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, now they have another sip. And this is my 86th birthday poem. I was, my birthday was on June 24th. Oh, cool. Yeah, just This is a ago. brand new one. Yeah. Yeah, she can officially get thrown out of the place now because she's 86. <laughs> That's, what I That's the only thing I figured. Yeah, it's that, uh, final, that milestone. I had a wonderful birthday, by the She day. can throw herself out. Uh, <laughs> friends would call and say, what are you going to do? I said, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't think I'll even see anybody. Well, then a very close friend of ours who lives in Berkeley now was in town and he called and he said, it's your birthday, isn't it? I said, yeah. He said, well, let me take you guys out for dinner. 
So we went to dinner in Fort Bragg at a new restaurant. It was very good. And right across the alley is Headland's Cafe. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesdays they have jazz. Mm -hmm. And uh, from 95 to 97, I would I did poetry with jazz there uh, once a month. Mm -hmm. But so I walked in, I knew all the three musicians that were working. And when they found out it was my birthday, they asked me to come up. So I, I wrote, I read them this and, and the one I'm going to read you. Awesome. So, We've yeah, been getting right. coffee there every morning. By the oh, way, then so. you know it's right around yep. the corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, here is... Yeah, I'm allowed back in, too. <laughs> Go ahead. 86. What are we doing? Okay, 86. let's just jump in there. Okay. I'll let you start. This birth year became clear how it happens. The poems appear writ and sounded. Notes and numbers and letters. A flock of wings resting, then shocked into flight by a single thought to settle again into meaning I have yet to decipher. I pray I'm given the time. I pray I'm given the time I have yet to decipher, to settle again into meaning by single thought, then shocked into flight, a flock of wings resting, notes and numbers and letters. The poems appear writ and sounded. This birth year became clear how it happens. <laughs> Man, I love it. Oh, me too. It's so right. good. Oh, it's it's yeah. almost like you put me in a trance. Right. <laughs> she paralyzes people. She makes yes. me cry in public. And <laughs> it's a terrible situation. I come in like this, you know, and I'm going, oh, this is like this so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly play. <laughs> I wrote him a poem. And whenever we perform that, he starts to cry. <laughs> uh, I can get through that one. Sweet. You want to read that? Um, re re yeah, do the how poem. Let's you got see. time for this or no? Yeah. One yeah. Okay. You okay yeah. with this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Book was it Definitely. You want a vitamin or a beer or something? <laughs> you want an arm wrestle or something? Yeah. You want a pump? I'm up? good. <laughs> Let me see. Now, these four were published in Vienna. And I forgot whether it was published yeah, this year. It's not easy hanging out with a beatnik. Right. <laughs> She'll keep you up all night long. <laughs> now, this, now wait, so great. which one was it? 56. That one. This right. was in this book. Okay. okay. Where's my glasses? Yeah, no. All right. I can take my windows off so I don't get them all fogged up. <laughs> Why don't you let me read that alone? Without Very well. Me? Yeah, since it's for you. Mm -hmm. Good, I can leave. <laughs> I'll go to the music room. If you have love for me, Say not I love you, and that will keep me free. If I have love for you, I shall not say I love you, and that will keep you free. That old cliche, actions speak louder than words, is as true as when first heard. Those three little words have trampled hearts, have paralyzed life, are swimming in blood, so let me just say, I have love for you. 
You got to give without wanting to get to learn receiving. Let today be today. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I got teary. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. Seriously. And it's for you. <laughs> I am moved. Excuse me. Extremely. I'm having fun. <laughs> I knew this was going to be fun. I told you this was going to be excellent. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. Please follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer. Go to the mattdwyer.com and you can find all the things Matt Dwyer. And support life cod podcasting and codcasting. Uh, everybody likes to listen to fish talk, and that's a codcast. Thank you <laughs> for that. Uh, I thank you very much for listening. It means a great deal to me. I love you all. Goodbye. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.